can open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading in just a minute from verses 19 to 30. In May of 1917, during World War I, President Wilson appointed Major General John J. Pershing to command the American Expeditionary Force. September 12, 1918, the, the AEF, the American Ex Expeditionary Force, launched their first major offensive in Europe as an independent army. They, 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 they'd given some support. There was their first advance. Altogether, it was two million American troops uh, were part of the American Expeditionary Force. The successful campaign was a major turning point in World War I for the Allies, and it was instrumental in the defeat of Germany. Well, at the conclusion of the war, General John Pershing wrote a letter of commendation to his troops. It was addressed to my fellow soldiers. So I'm going to read a bit of that now. My fellow soldiers, now that your service with the American Expeditionary Force is about to terminate, I cannot let you go without a personal word. At the call to arms, the patriotic young manhood of America eagerly responded and became the formidable army whose decisive victories testify to its efficiency and its valor. With the support of the nation firmly united to defend the cause of liberty, our army has executed the will of the people with resolute purpose. Our democracy has been tested and the forces of autocracy have been defeated. To the glory of the citizen soldier, our troops have faithfully fulfilled their trust and in a succession of brilliant offensives have overcome the menace to our civilization. And here's where this kind of even becomes more a letter of commendation. As an individual... Your part in the world war has been an important one in the sum total of our achievements. Whether keeping lonely vigil in the trenches, or gallantly storming the enemy's stronghold, whether enduring monotonous drudgery at the rear or sustaining the fighting line at the front, each has bravely and efficiently played his part by willing sacrifice of personal rights, by cheerful endurance of hardship and privation, by vigor, strength, and indomitable will, made effective by thorough organization and cordial cooperation. You inspired the war-worn allies with new life and turned the tide of threatened defeat into overwhelming victory. Now, as we switch to Paul's letter to the Philippians, it has a letter of commendation as well regarding his fellow soldier. Now, we know as our time with Philippians shows, it wasn't completely a letter of commendation. But Paul does take a surprising amount of God's word, inspired scripture, to commend both Timothy and Epaphroditus to the Philippian church. If you were to move, if you were to go to a different church, have to go to a different saint, state, what would the saints of Cornerstone Bible Church write about you in a letter of commendation to another church? What would they say about you what titles would they use to describe you? Would they speak of your love and faithfulness, your work and devotion, or would they have less to say? And so let's listen together as we hear Paul's letter of commendation regarding Timothy and Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, 19 to 30. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, 
that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, there are, uh, it's really, your, your word is brilliant, and it has songs and proverbs and histories and genealogies, the gospels, the biographies of, of Christ. Lord, and there's also letters, Lord, and sometimes these letters say very personal things, like here what Paul is writing to the Philippians about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you have preserved your word for us, that this is scripture, that it was intended for our instruction, Lord, that we would be, be trained, Lord, for our, for our correction, for our reproof, so that we could become more like your son, Jesus Christ. So I thank you, Father, for preserving um, your word for us. Sometimes we feel like we are at these uh, great, high, lofty mountain peaks, and then there's other times we're just doing the, the everyday things of life. And that feels a little bit what Paul is doing here, taking care of important matters. And yet, Father, this commendation written 2,000 years ago, I pray, Father, that we would learn from it, that we'd be transformed by it, that we'd be encouraged by the change you brought about in our lives, and that we would be resolute uh, to, to still change even more, to become like your son. Thank you for this time in your word, and I pray that you bless the preaching of it. In Jesus' name, amen. From what we can get from this letter, it seems that the uh, believers in Philippi, there in ancient Greece, would have been surprised to see Epaphroditus coming down the road. Now, by surprise, it wasn't all bad. So no doubt the Philippians felt a strange mixture of both relief, but also maybe some disappointment, which is kind of tough when you see your friend, right? Relief we get because they had heard that he was sick. And so Epaphroditus was healthy now, and that was good news for them. That came as a surprise. I bet they wouldn't have thought that they, he would have been able to make that exhausting 40 to 50 day journey from Rome to Philippi. But they may have been a little disappointed too, because from everything we can get from the letter, they had hoped to see Timothy coming to the aid of their church. At this point in this letter to the Philippians, Paul, who's writing from prison in Rome, is writing to avoid some of the confusion regarding this situation. Maybe they could have wondered if something was wrong with Timothy, that Paul couldn't have sent Timothy like they were hoping. Or maybe they're wondering if there's something wrong with Epaphroditus, that Paul had to send him back. Maybe they wondered if Epaphroditus is really so healthy, he can make this 40 to 50 day journey back to us. Was he really ever that sick? Have we been worrying here for nothing? 
And if Epaphroditus is healthy enough to make that journey, why didn't Paul keep him there to help him, to help Paul, like the Philippians had wanted? It seems from reading this that Epaphroditus was part of the Philippians' gift to Paul, and it was just rejected as they see Epaphroditus coming down the road. Paul, as he's in prison, waiting trial, potential execution for not having done anything wrong besides proclaiming Christ, which of course there's nothing wrong with. Paul is concerned about Epaphroditus, which is super cool, right? Because Paul could just be concerned about himself. He could just be anxious that he's going to die anytime soon. But instead, he's concerned about Epaphroditus. And he's concerned that this important letter that Epaphroditus is carrying is received well. Now, we just read that the commands in this section aren't until verse 29. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. The command was to receive him, to welcome him. Welcome him in the Lord as is fitting for someone who is your brother in Christ. Said to honor such men, to recognize his value, to recognize his worth. See, Paul was writing this letter of commendation really to prevent any shame from coming upon Epaphroditus. This command to honor him suggests that Paul was concerned how Epaphroditus would be received. But I believe that this section has a bigger purpose than that. It's about really more than about how they were going to welcome Epaphroditus. See, Paul seizes the opportunity here, and he uses Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of commendable affection for God's people and commendable effort for God's gospel. As we read through, Paul's really at an interesting point in his letter. He, he had begun in chapters 1, verses 1 through 26, updating the Philippians about how the gospel was making progress in Rome, updating them about how he was doing while he was awaiting trial. But then in verse 27, the apostle Paul switches focus, and he, he calls them to live worthy of the gospel, both as they strive together for the gospel, but also how they were to have unity and to humbly consider one another as more important than themselves. They point in, he points in Philippians 2, 5-11, how that was modeled supremely by Christ. In chapter 2, verse 12, he, he calls them to not become lazy in their salvation, but to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. A major way that they would do that, we saw in verse 2, 14, is to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now here in chapter 2, 19 to 30, Paul is addressing these very everyday details of why Epaphroditus and why not Timothy, right? I mean, in, in one sense, that's not thrilling, but Paul's going to do more here, and he's going to take advantage of this opportunity to give another example of what this humble striving together for the gospel looked like, of what it looked like to consider others more important than themselves. See, Paul in this section hasn't moved beyond living worthy of the gospel, He's still encouraging the Philippians to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's still, he's still instructing them, by example, how to make his joy complete as they maintain the same mind and the same love, united to one spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. 
And so he's going to use Paul and Timothy as an example of that kind of living, which is gospel, which is living worthy of the gospel. Commendable lives marked both by affection and effort. Now, we saw that the command isn't until the end of this. So, so, so it's not like I can just say there's three commands that Paul gives. And it's not like there's, he's making a logical argument. There's not like three reasons why. He's not defending a doctrine here. So last week, we asked ourselves a couple questions. Kind of questions prompted by Paul's commendation of these men. First question was, is my soul refreshed when I hear my brothers and sisters in Christ are doing well? We saw that in verse 19, how Paul says, I can't wait to hear about you. Because he knows Epaphroditus isn't coming back. He says, I can't wait to send Timothy to you for him to come back so that I can be encouraged, so that I can be good in soul by hearing how you are doing. The second question we looked at was prompted from verse 21. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And we look and said that's probably not talking about every Christian there in Rome. Paul says many positive things about the Christians he's with. Instead, it's probably among those who were able to make this trip. And, and he says something very discouraging about them. They seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So, and so our question was, have I been seeking my own things or the things of Christ Jesus? In the next verse, following 221, Paul continues to describe really how rare of a man Timothy is. We see that in verse 22. As Paul speaks of Timothy, commends him, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Paul makes it clear for the Philippians. It wasn't a lack of worthiness that he didn't send Timothy. It wasn't because there was something wrong with Timothy. The Philippians could attest to Timothy's proven worth. See, they could attest to it because they had seen it. Paul, uh, Timothy was there with Paul when the gospel was first preached in Philippi. Timothy had come back to Philippi multiple times. They valued him. They had seen his proven worth. He had passed the test. He was useful. Over the previous 10 years, they had valued Timothy. Now, Paul gives some evidence here of his proven worth. He says, for you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. That word serve there could be translated slave. And really, we're, we're kind of stuck because as soon as you say slave in 21st century America, you think about slavery in America, which is really a bad picture. It could be like that in the ancient Roman world. But it wasn't only like that. There's also slaves who were well-honored and used and treated well, almost a part of the family. But the word serve is a little weak, right? When are we served? Well, often, you know, we have gracious spouses who serve us. We're served when we go to a restaurant. So you want to kind of get something in your mind between served and slave, maybe leaning towards that idea of slave. Just not with all the essential cruelty that most that, that the slavery happened during the Civil War here in America. So it could be translated, he slaved with me in the furtherance of the gospel. And that word furtherance there is just to help us understand. It's slaved with me in the gospel. <clears throat> Timothy had slaved with Paul for the gospel. The picture here isn't, uh, and, 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 and unlike our New American Standard Bible read, and I'll read it to you again, the, the, 
the, the, the New American Standard says, that he served or slaved with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. And that word serving there is italicized because it's not there. The idea really more is a child and his father working under the same master. They're slaving together for the gospel like a child with, with his father. So the, 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 the ESV captures that a, a little bit better. How is a son with a father? He has served with me in the gospel. It wasn't serving Paul. It was serving with Paul in the gospel. You can imagine an affectionate son who's eager to learn his father's trade, maybe even moving along as an apprentice, helping however he can around his father's business. You can imagine this, this son who's devoted Devoted to his father, but also devoted with his father in finishing the master's task. See, Paul and Timothy's relationship centered around their mutual commitment to the gospel. Their mutual commitment to the gospel. The gospel is the good news that sinners who have offended God and who God is going to be punished because of what Christ has done can instead be reconciled to God. Because of Jesus' death in their place, they can be forgiven and they can be made new and given new life. A life lived in obedience to Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. Paul and Timothy's relationship from the onset was about mutual furtherance of the gospel together. They slaved together. Now, their commitment to the gospel wasn't only about proclaiming good news. It wasn't only about proclaiming that gospel message to the lost. Slaving for the gospel was about people believing the gospel, that's true. But it extended to their continuing in the gospel. And they're living in ways that reflected the truth of the gospel. It wasn't just about seeing people saved. That wasn't all the gospel ministry was. See, Paul and Timothy continued to circle back to the churches that they planted as they did gospel ministry. It's why the Philippians valued Timothy. He kept visiting them. Timothy didn't forget about Philippi. Paul's gospel ministry included writing letters like Romans and Colossians to churches he had never even visited. That was part of his gospel ministry. See, gospel ministry is about the lost believing in Jesus. But it's also about the saved continuing to believe in Jesus. It's about those saved living in obedience to what Jesus says. I, I love the, the, the book of Romans. In the first chapter and in the 16th chapter, there's a really interesting phrase. And the fact that it has this phrase at both ends of the book shows us that, that it, it's important to the book. And Paul talks about this gospel ministry in Romans 1.5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Obedience of faith. And that's what gospel ministry is. It's not just getting people to believe so that they're forgiven. It's about bringing about the obedience of faith. Paul wasn't satisfied, and even after the church was obeying, he wasn't satisfied, right? He kept circling back to see that they continued in obedience, that their belief continued in obedience. We see that at the end of Romans 2, Romans 16, verses 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, and then it says, leading to obedience of faith. At the beginning of the end of the book, Romans is about the obedience of faith. That's what gospel ministry was for Paul. And, and I want to make sure that's clear, because I think it's easy for us at times to think that gospel ministry is separate from discipleship. Okay? This is all gospel ministry. 
people believing the gospel and continuing in the gospel and being transformed by the gospel. That is all gospel ministry, bringing about the obedience of the faith. Now, the gospel is the good news, but that gospel ministry is living out that good news as people have been humbled and saved by Christ. This is that gospel ministry that Paul and Timothy were slaving together for, like a father with his son. It's a beautiful picture. It leads us to our third question. Our third question, the, the, the first one folks on this morning, but they're on the notes there, the previous two from last week in case you weren't here. Our third question is this. Do I identify as a slave of the gospel? Is that your identity? Do I identify as a slave of the gospel? Now, perhaps one could argue that verse 22 is only about Timothy's character, right? It's only about Timothy. He slaved me. He slaved with me in the gospel. He has proven character. It's just about Timothy. But I think that Paul is exalting slavery for the gospel as commendable. And that's really the overflow of what Philippians has been about. Now, now this is not like Paul lets that call to gospel ministry ooze through this letter. It saturates this letter. Listen to Philippians 1, 4 through 5. He talks about how Paul remembers the Philippians, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He says they were partners in the gospel with Paul from the very first day that they heard the gospel. The Philippians were his gospel partners. In Philippians 1 verse 14, Paul speaks with joy about how things had changed in Rome because of his imprisonment. He says that most of the brethren, right, most of the brethren, not, not, not just some, most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. That was a good thing. That's what Paul expected in Rome. It's what Paul expected in Philippi. Philippians 1.18, we see Paul's own joy. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in this I rejoice. Paul's joy was in the proclamation of Christ. Philippians 1.27, he urges them to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. and uses this phrase, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, it's this call to gospel ministry. Yes, it's modeled by Timothy here, but it oozes out of this letter. It keeps coming back. And just in case we, we don't know it's clear that Paul's an example for us, Philippians 4.9 just seals the deal. Philippians 4, 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. That was being a slave of the gospel, right? See, I believe, and, and I think Philippians 4, 9 makes it really clear, Paul desired every believer to be as committed to the furtherance of the gospel as he and Timothy were. Even if they ministered in a different way. Even if they had been given different gifts. I'm always challenged when I, I, I preach these kinds of messages that, 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 you know, here we're talking about Timothy here, right? He's been the last 10 years with Paul. He was a missionary. What does that do with us? What does that do with the stay-at-home moms here? What does that do for the 
guys who are working ridiculously long hours providing for their families. See, we can't all be Paul and Timothy, right? We have different gifts. We have different callings. But we can cultivate the passion of Paul and Timothy. We can have the commitment of Paul and Timothy. We can identify as slaves of the gospel. No matter what ministry we have, no matter what gifts we have, no matter what we spend the majority of our time doing, is to wake up and to say, today, I am a slave of the gospel. So in your prayer time, are you committed? Are you pleading with God for the advance of the gospel into the lives of your neighbors, your classmates, your unsaved family, the families of your care group members, the Czech Republic, the Southeast Asia? Are you pleading with God for the advance of the gospel? That's one way you can slave for the gospel, right? In your prayer time, but not just in your prayer time. How about in your conversations at church or when you're at care group or when you meet together during the week? Are you concerned that your brothers and sisters in Christ are remembering the gospel? That they keep believing the gospel? That they bear fruit in keeping with the gospel? That the gospel is being effective in their lives? And as you serve, whether it's here at church on a Sunday morning or in care group or as you parent your children... Are you seeking to cultivate an environment in which the gospel goes forth without hindrance, without distraction, so that Christ is spotlighted? See, Timothy served as a slave of the gospel. But it's not just, it's not just because he went into full-time ministry. See, engineers and doctors, stay-at-home moms, financial analysts, teachers, students, we must all wake up and ask, how will I slave for the furtherance of the gospel today? Sunday, tomorrow morning. How am I going to serve as a slave for the furtherance of the gospel? See, if you ask that, Paul will say, discipleship is working. Right? They're becoming like me just like I told them to. How am I slaving for the gospel? See, you're good. Heavenly Father has given you all a wide array of responsibilities, right? I hear some of them crying. That's, that's, that's great. God, is all, God has given us all different responsibilities, different stages of life. Those responsibilities are the context in which you slave for the gospel. Your employment to the context, to the extent that God allows, is about gospel ministry. And I know that some of you have limitations at work. But pray to the extent that God allows your job is about gospel ministry. The paycheck you bring home is so you and others can do gospel ministry off of company time. Your home is where you do gospel ministry. Your neighborhood is where you do gospel ministry. Your Toyota Sienna, all of them out there, is where you do gospel ministry, right? Your friends are either those whom you seek to win for the gospel or those whom you slave alongside for the gospel. Either you're seeking them to Win for the gospel, you're seeking to slave alongside them for the gospel. Timothy's record in slaving for the gospel made him the obvious choice to send to Philippi. He'd be exactly the, remember, the, 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 the uh, reminder that the church needed of what slaving, what serving God's son, what it looked like, right? What a unifying thing 
let's get around the gospel and do gospel ministry. That, 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 this letter is just saturated with that. He was the perfect person, except that Paul couldn't send him. We see that in Philippians 2, 23 and 24. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. And we don't really know exactly why Paul couldn't send him. He says, as soon as I see how things go with me. It could have been the result of Paul's trial. I really, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting to see how this goes. Maybe, and we could speculate, if he was, if he was killed, he'd say, Timothy, I've got some jobs for you to do. Or maybe there was a pastoral problem that Timothy was helping Paul along with. It, it, the text doesn't tell us. But as soon as he could, Paul would send very valuable Timothy to Philippi, which just shows us a little insight into Paul's heart, right? His best helper. I'll send him as soon as I can. But then we also see Paul's heart here. And, and again, you know, we keep seeing this commendable effort, but here we see more of that commendable affection. As soon as he was free, he was going to Philippi. He says, I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. And again, he's trusting in the Lord. This, this, his desire to go to Philippi is submitted to God. He's dependent upon, he's perfectly understand, understanding that Christ may have a completely different plan. Now you can imagine Paul waiting his release from prison hoping to make it through this trial before Nero so he can go on with gospel ministry. And so what does he plan after being in jail? It's not a Mediterranean cruise for a little R&R. Soon the Super Bowl will happen. We know what gets happens after the Super Bowl, right? Now that you've won the Super Bowl, where are you going? To Disneyland, right? What does Paul say? Now that you've been released by crazy Emperor Nero, where are you going? On a 40-day journey to Philippi. That's, the, 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 that's just what Paul's heart was. I, I, I got to go check my brothers and sisters. He never stopped being a slave of the gospel. And he wouldn't say, hey guys, you know, you, you know why that is? Because I saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. You guys haven't seen Jesus, so don't worry about it. Right? He would never say that. He expects the same of us. Different gifts, different responsibilities, but the same affection and the same effort. Now, you can imagine poor Epaphroditus standing there while this letter is being read, right? Okay, he's like two chapters into this. It's like, I know people are excited to hear about Paul. Uh, great, Paul's telling them about gospel-worthy living. Okay, good. When's he going to talk about this awkwardness about why am I here? It's kind of an awkward scene to imagine. Uh, the church is oppressed, definitely facing opposition from outside. The church is disunified. You can imagine Euodia and Syntyche, opposite sides of the room, kind of their shoulders turned to one another, worshiping together, kind of. And poor Epaphroditus is up there front. Maybe he's the one reading the letter. Maybe he's just standing and someone else is reading. And just kind of looking awkward as all these great things are said about Timothy, about his proven character, right? Because the church is probably wondering, why is Epaphroditus here? But it's a letter of commendation for Epaphroditus as well. We see that in Philippians 2.25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, 
my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. The suspense that maybe Epaphroditus, and we're, we're, we're kind of just having some fun with this here, I don't know exactly. The, the suspense he felt doesn't end right, at, right away. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. And, you know, the uh, uh, more negative of the brothers are like, what did he do? Right? Like, why did he have to be returned? But instead, uh, Paul commends him. Really, he lavishes praise on him. He says, my brother. Now, brother was a common designation for the saints, for God's people. Those who've been adopted by God, who through the Spirit have been made brothers of Christ, the firstborn among many brothers. We are brothers and sisters with one another. Regardless of differences in, in ethnicity, class, education, spiritual giftedness. And really, it's, it's very sweet to think about Paul, right? Here, this, this Jew, and he's going to talk about how Jewish he really is uh, in, in chapter 3. But this Jew, this, 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 this ex-Pharisee, as devoted as they came, uh, calls Epaphroditus his brother. Well, Epaphroditus, that, 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 that name comes from, comes from the Greek goddess Aphrodite, probably suggesting that his family worshipped the Greek goddess. But that's not who they are now in Christ, right? Pharisee and idol worshiper together are brothers. Or it's, I mean, now, brothers in Christ. But I think when Paul calls Epaphroditus my brother, I think he's going beyond that. It's that, that, that phrase, although he does use our brother in different places, but my brother is used only one other time, and that's of Titus. I think that personal pronoun there, my, shows affection. He was dear to Paul. He was committed to Paul. He was available to Paul. Paul and Epaphroditus cared for each other, and they carried each other's burdens. He could say, this is my brother. Not just, brother, it's good to see you, but my brother. My brother. He also calls him my, my fellow worker, and that word, my, uh, in the Greek would, would really be understood as not just including my brother, but my brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier. It would have applied to all of those words. So he calls him my fellow worker. See, Epaphroditus, when he's called a fellow worker, is in great company in, in Scripture. In Romans 16.3, says, Greet Prisca and, and Aquila, my fellow workers, and we learn about them in Acts. In Romans 16.9, we don't know anything of, of, about this man, Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Romans 16.21, he's called Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. 2 Corinthians 8.23 talks about Titus. He is my partner and fellow worker among you. Colossians 4.10-11 uh, describes uh, Barnabas' cousin Mark and uh, Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Philemon 1. Philemon is called our beloved fellow, our, our beloved brother and fellow worker. Philemon 24 describes Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke as my fellow workers. Now, I bring out all those names, and I know that some of them we don't even know anything else about. But it was a select company. It was a term that Paul used to only refer to some of those many. And we don't exactly know why. There's, there's, there's something, when Paul thought of those people, 
he, there's something that pops up. The perfect word to describe them is fellow worker, co-worker. Now, Paul says many affectionate things and many positive things about many saints, but not all are called fellow workers. It really makes even more special the, the, the accommodation that Paul has for the Philippian church in chapter 4. In, in Philippians 2 and 3, he says, I, I, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers. And the commentaries say that that rest of the fellow workers refers to Clement. It refers to the rest, but it refers to Euodia and Syntyche as well. There's something really special about the church in Philippi. They had been committed to Paul in a unique way. The church was full of fellow workers. Now, Paul never describes why he commends some laborers as fellow workers, and we have to speculate. What made these specifically fellow workers? And I think that we could imagine that they no doubt possessed a humility. These were not people who competed with Paul in his ministry. They were unlike the Roman believers described in chapter 1, who preached Christ out of envy and strife. See, these fellow workers have small egos. They were teachable and humble. And again, I'm just, I'm just kind of imagining, he doesn't describe, here, I've got five qualifications for a fellow worker. But no doubt, they were humble, not not full of themselves. They were also faithful to the task. They weren't those who, who gave up when hard times came. They weren't those who, who flaked or who folded. I think that they were probably also intentional and purposeful, right? They were workers. They were not dallying. They weren't drifting. They weren't daydreaming. They, they, they had purpose. They were intentional. They were serious, I think, too, that they're probably described and characterized by hope. As, as, as they did this work, they had a hope that the effort was worth it, that God would be glorified in this preaching of the gospel, that, that this work that we're doing is not futile work, but it's going to be effective. So these fellow workers, I'm sure, were humble and they were faithful and they were intentional and purposeful, and they were filled with hope. But the most obvious word here is that they were workers, right? That they exerted themselves, that they labored, that they put effort into gospel ministry. They put an extra effort. They, they stood up as those who worked hard, who sacrificed for the advance of the gospel to the lost, and for the gospel's continuing effect upon those who are saved. See, what Paul has in common with Epaphroditus and these other fellow workers was their effort. And it was their hope and their purpose and their faithfulness and their humility. But Paul goes even one step further in commending Epaphroditus as his beyond fellow worker. And he calls him my fellow soldier. It's, it is only used one other time of a man named named Archippus in Philemon, verse 2. Perhaps, though, it was a particularly poignant phrase for Paul as he's sitting there, perhaps chained to Roman soldiers day after day, a continually rotating group of 
the palace guard sitting chained with. He was constantly guarded by soldiers. Philippians 1, 12 through 13 talks a little bit about that. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard to everyone else. All the soldiers know why I'm in chains. It is for the gospel. I'm sure that was because Paul took opportunity to tell those that he was there chained to about Christ. But, they, but, but they've all heard about this. So Paul had these constant reminders of these soldiers standing right next to him. And we don't exactly know all the details, but they were an ongoing presence of his life. And so when he thinks about Epaphroditus, he's like, yeah, he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. But even more, you know, he's my fellow soldier. Devoted. And again, he doesn't tell exactly why, fellow soldier. He was devoted. He was on duty. He was undistracted. He was focused. He was brave, tenacious, determined, suffering when called on to suffer, sacrificial when called upon to sacrifice, seeking to please his commanding officer, ambitious to fulfill the divine commission. He was a soldier. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul calls on Timothy to suffer as a good soldier. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Not distracted, on task, purposeful, committed. Paul commends Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier. See, both his life and Paul's life were spent in submission to the orders of their superior, fulfilling the desires of Jesus, accomplishing Jesus' plan, no matter the cost. That takes some serious identifying, right? I am a soldier of Jesus Christ. Their lives were not their own. Now, Paul's commendation of Epaphroditus goes further. He says that he's his brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. But then he says... To the church in Philippi, he was their messenger and minister to my need. So Epaphroditus was your messenger and your minister to my need. Paul reminds the Philippians of the task that they had set aside Epaphroditus for. It was the church in Philippi that thought Epaphroditus was qualified for this ministry. Really, the task that the Philippians sent him on was kind of all the letter of commendation he needed. They entrusted him to bring this... The, this, this offering to Paul along this 40 to 50 day journey and then to stay and help Paul. He's like, you guys know his character. He's your messenger, which is literally your apostle. He's the one you sent. Now, this is apostle with a little a. He's your delegate, your, 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 your envoy. He's the one you sent to take care of my needs. He's your minister to my needs. And we saw that, that, that word minister in the past. It's one who fulfills an official function, whether as a public servant or as a priest. Epaphroditus was a minister, an apostle to Paul's needs. Now, Paul's section of commendation here on Epaphroditus leads us to our fourth question. Could my brothers and sisters... Commend me how Paul commends Epaphroditus. 
can my brothers and sisters commend me how Paul commends Epaphroditus? Now, maybe your first instinct is to say, oh, no, this is going to be guilt-inducing. But I believe it can be encouraging to you. By God's grace, there's those that immediately pop out in your mind and say, I know they would call me my brother or my sister. I am a fellow worker with this person. I've been a fellow soldier alongside them. See, this doesn't have to be a guilty question. This isn't like, oh, you've been wasting your lives. By God's grace, you haven't been. You may be very encouraged by this. Now, there may be many saints here at Cornerstone, and I'm sure this is probably true for all of us, that, that, that you don't know well. Maybe some who you're like, you know, it wouldn't really be very genuine to call them my fellow worker. Like, I've, I've never done a whole lot of ministry with them. I don't really even know them that well. You, you, you may not be able to commend the kingdom-centered mindset of, of each person here. Not every brother or sister is going to know you in the same way. We are limited. We are unable to walk alongside each and every brother or sister in the same way. But that doesn't mean that we can't be commended for God's work in our lives. It should just be by those who know us. We must also, I think, be careful with this to not judge one another. This is not a time to point a finger and say, he doesn't act like my brother. He doesn't even know I exist. Or... He's not the fellow worker in my causes. I've got a real desire for this, and he doesn't care. So it's not a time to be judging others. But I do think this, this, this question can launch us to praise. It can launch us towards reflection. It can launch us towards confession. We can praise for the Lord Jesus Christ is doing in your life and in the lives of others. We can reflect and ask ourselves whether we are being valuable in the lives of others. How have I been a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier? Maybe you have been on the sidelines. And maybe for confession, if you've forgotten the joy of walking and working and waging warfare together. So let's look at each of these phrases. Who can commend you as my brother or my sister? Not just a brother or sister, not just because we have a common confession of faith or we have the indwelling spirit giving us new life and we can look around and say, my brothers and sisters, right? Not just that, but who can say that they are my brother? You're my sister. Because of the way you've been living out your confession of Christ in commitment and devotion to one another. See, a brother is someone who prays for you. A brother doesn't forget what you're going through. Your concerns are important to them. A brother weeps with you as you weep and rejoices with you as you rejoice. A brother bears your burdens. A brother is concerned. A brother is affectionate. A brother says hard things. So who could call you my brother? And who are you thinking of? Who can call t- who? Got them confused. But anyways, you get the idea, right? Whose brother are you? And who are you being a brother to?
let's look at the phrase, my fellow worker. Who can commend you as his or her fellow worker? And again, this is not to be guilt-inducing, right? This is just Paul's letter of commendation here. These are good things. This is good fruit of being saved. Being a fellow worker is a good thing. So let's just assume someone can and be encouraged by who it is. Who can call you a fellow worker? Who are you humbly serving alongside as you complement one another, as you intentionally seek to accomplish the same goal? Who have you been faithful to serve alongside, even when it was hard, even if there was friction, even as you confess sins to one another, even as you have to confront one another? Who have you sweated with for the advance of the gospel, for the salvation of your neighborhood, for the sanctification of a brother or sister? Who, who, who's right there with you? Maybe it's those that you're in care group with. Maybe it's those that you serve with in Pebbles root, Roots or Rock Ministry. Maybe it's those that you've been planning our upcoming retreat with. See, your fellow workers, you're accomplishing this for gospel advance, for Christ's glory. M- maybe you are fellow workers with Marcus. And with Joshua, their families, because of the way that you're praying for them and the way that you remember the things that they ask you to pray for and the way that you give. Their burden is your burden. Maybe there's someone you just need to pray with. You're a fellow worker with them for the gospel to be effective in their lives. Maybe it's a husband and wife who are working together for the salvation of their kids, or to open up their home to be hospitable to strangers. Maybe it's students working together to spread the gospel on the campus. Who are you working with for gospel advance? Who's your fellow worker? I hope you're encouraged as you think about that. And if you don't have any of those names, then there's ministries to serve in. You can throw yourself into care group. You can start even by by praying for a list of people. Just pray for that list, and you'll start engaging in fellow work with them. But he also calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. I do think this word kicks it up a notch, right? A soldier has that singleness of focus, a freedom from distraction. It's not time to, to, it's it's not, now's not the time to waste time. It's not time to be distracted. There's an intentionality there and and a devotion. Fellow worker is a very commendable phrase. Paul uses it for Timothy and Priscilla and Aquila and Titus. But a fellow soldier suggests that you are exclusive together for a purpose. You are committed. You have tenacity. There's there's faithfulness in the midst of your relationship. You have one another's backs. You're fighting in the same war. So in your diligence and devotion to Jesus Christ... Who's your fellow soldier? Is there, a ta- is there a task you've undertaken? Are you being ambitious for God's kingdom with them along your side? Are you battling together? Are you seeking to advance the borders of God's kingdom? See, asking these kinds of questions are honestly, they should be as much about praising God for what he's done. Now, I'm concerned with you if you're thinking, I can't think of anyone. Hopefully, you're all thinking of someone. So 
So spend time thanking God for those faithful men and women in your life. And do what Paul's doing here. Encourage your brothers and sisters. Who has walked alongside you as your brother, my brother? Who has been your fellow worker, your fellow soldier? Write them a note. Send them an email. Stay faithful to them. Expand that list. I don't think Paul ever got tired of fellow workers, right? And, and, and you do see how slavery for the gospel, slavery to the gospel, the lordship of Christ brings us together to be doing this ministry together, right? We can't wait to see Christ glorified in one person being saved. And one of our brothers saying no to sin and leave and living an upright and holy life. This is what we do together. It's commendable. Listen to more from General Pershing's commendation of his fellow soldiers. So this is the letter he wrote to the American, uh, the thing I can't remember, the American Expeditionary. It was, it was a big word. American Expeditionary Force. With a constant, and this is the last paragraph. With a consecrated devotion to duty and a will to conquer, you have loyally served your country. By your exemplary conduct, a standard has been established and maintained, never before attained by any army. I'm sure others would probably disagree, but with mind and body as clean and strong as the decisive blows you delivered against the foe, you are soon to return to the pursuits of peace. And leaving the scenes of your victories, may I ask you, carry home your high ideals and continue to live as you have served. Interesting to think about. Paul sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi. An honor to the principles for which you have fought and to the fallen comrade you leave behind. And then he says, It is with pride in our success that I extend to you my sincere thanks for your splendid service to the army and to the nations. Now that was a long letter of commendation. Paul's inclusion here, it is intentional, it's purposeful, he doesn't want there to be any confusion. It's shorter. Philippians 2.25, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier. So if you were to move, you had to go to a different church, what would the saints of Cornerstone Bible Church write about you? How would the words that they use encourage you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for how, um, how real it is as Paul tries to navigate these, these complex personal issues, how he cares for Epaphroditus, how he cares for Philippi. And yet, Lord, as, 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 these, as these words um, deal with this temporary issue, Lord, we see something that is ongoing. And we see these pictures, Lord, these pictures from Timothy and Epaphroditus of how deeply the gospel changes us of how it realigns our affections and messes with our schedule and gives us a truly great commission that as we um, become fishers of men, our, 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 our other idols become exposed and, and what's not valuable drifts away. Lord, and we see that in these men as they were servants of the gospel, as Epaphroditus was Paul's brother and fellow worker 
and fellow soldier. Lord, I pray that we would have those same kind of commitments, Lord. That we would enjoy the, the, the blessing of fellowship. Not just the blessing of snacks. Not just the blessing of, of, of talking about football or the blessing of these kinds of temporary things. But that we would know this, 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 deeper, this deeper reality of, of, of leaning on one another. And needing one another and relying on one another. And seeking to accomplish goals with one another. And seeking the advance of the gospel with one another. And pleading with our brothers and sisters for repentance. And encouraging together one another, our brothers and sisters. That we would have this, 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 this identity. This, this identifying as, as, as you're a slave for the gospel. That, we wouldn't, that we'd have so much gospel Faith, that we would believe Jesus Christ so much, that we'd have such confidence in your ability to forgive us and, and, and to bring us new life, that when we see these kinds of pictures, Lord, that we would be all in. Lord, I pray, Father, that afterwards, Lord, that, that as we rub elbows with one another, Lord, as we share a coffee, Lord, that, that, that there'd be some stimulating conversation and maybe brother encouraging brother or sister, Lord, or, or, or people beginning to dream together about how they can be fellow soldiers. We know that even afterwards, Lord, we're going to be doing work together. So please, Father, help us to live in a way that is commendable, not so that we receive any glory or praise, but so that Christ is glorified and, and, and that this, this, this precious good news, this, this great gospel would have its full effect in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.